Welcome to the Alcorn Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Isn't it wonderful to be in the house of the Lord together? Yes. Yes. What a blessing to be here worshiping together. What a gift we have to be able to examine God's word together. Let's pray for his guidance. Heavenly Father, we praise your name today. We praise you for your truth. We praise you for your wisdom, which we gain from your word by your spirit. So unlike the wisdom of this world, Lord, fill us with your spirit now that we may have our eyes and ears open to your truth. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Open up your Bibles, please, to Matthew 5. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, one of the four gospel accounts we have about the life of Jesus. Again, that's Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 14 to 16 today, but I'd like to read the first, the entire first 16 verses now. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Thanks be to God for his word. Many years ago, when I was a grad student, I loved hanging out with international, oh, please sit down, sorry. (laughs) When I was a grad student, I loved hanging out with international students. I was really lucky to make friends with people from all over the globe. It was a great way to serve people as well. You could do supermarket runs with people who didn't have a car, help people with their English. I even taught a number of people how to drive. And I remember one particular friend from Korea who was a really funny guy, very animated. He just liked to hang out get coffee and tell you about the wild things he was discovering by living in America. And I remember one day I went to get a coffee with him at a coffee shop and we ran into a group of people I knew from church. And I introduced my Korean friend to them 
And I told him, these are my friends from church. And when I told him this, he gasped in an exaggerated way, as he often did. He gasped and said, you go to church? And all my church friends burst out laughing. Uh, what have you been ta uh, taking this guy to do, Chris? Uh, way to go with that lifestyle witness, Chris. They were teasing me, but it also made me think a little bit about my lifestyle witness. A lot of people thought I was a nice guy. I like to hang out. I like chatting with people, even if their English isn't good. But was my lifestyle actually pointing people to Christ? Today, we're going to talk about being the light of the world and consider what that means, what it looks like. We want to think about how we point people to Christ with our lifestyles. Living a distinct Christian lifestyle, following the commands of Christ, is vital. Because if we proclaim Christ with our mouths, but our actions don't match, the world sees us as hypocrites, and rightly so. Our gospel witness must consist both of our words and our actions. It's not an either or. Two weeks ago, Pastor John talked about a really interesting question. You can refer to your notes from that sermon. He asked, why does God allow wickedness to persist in this world? Why does he let injustice continue? And the answer we saw came from 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God allows wickedness to continue for a time because he is mercifully giving people time to repent. It's a great answer to a tough question. So that's review from two weeks ago. But where does that leave us? Many of us in this room have already given our lives to Christ. We already repented. We're already in Christ. If that's you, why are you here on this earth? Why wouldn't God simply rapture us up as soon as we accept Christ? Why are you here? And that's the question we see Christ answer in our text today. We're here to be a light in a world of darkness. This is an answer to our existential questions. Why am I here? What is life about? What is my purpose? He's not just offering a description here. He's conferring an identity. Being a light is who we are. Now, when I read these words of Christ, you are the light of the world, it immediately seems a little odd to me because Jesus says in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. What does Jesus mean by this? I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Well, if you keep reading John 8, verse 12, he explains, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world because he is the light. We are the light of the world because we have the light from him. We have light because he is light. We have light because we reflect Christ. So that's what we want to look at today in our passage. We'll talk about the source of our light. We want to look at us as reflectors of the light. And we want to consider where we are shining this light. So first off, let's talk about the source of the light. We know that Christ is light. We read this in John 1, right? In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. 
We read that in John 1, verse 4. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. We read in John 1, verse 9. Jesus was the light, the light that brings life. What does it mean that Christ is the light? What does light do? Well, one thing light does is orients us. If you've ever woke up in the middle of the night and you're not in your regular bed, the first thing you do is look for a window or a glowing nightlight to remember where you are. Even that small amount of light can orient you. More light allows us to see reality, to know the truth about where we are, what's around us. It allows us to see other people and ourselves in a way we can't when it's dark. This is what Christ does for us. He shows us the reality of our situation. He shows us the true condition of ourselves as sinful human beings and the true condition of this world. He is the perfect light, and we're called to reflect that, to be a light to the world. Now, this seems like a tall order. Christ was the light of the world, and now I'm supposed to do that. How can we possibly follow in Christ's footsteps? It would be like LeBron actually retiring and saying, hey, Chris, can you take my spot? <laughs> that could only end in disaster. <laughs> so how can we do what Christ is asking us to do? The answer is, you're going to need his help. When our kids were a lot younger, they shared a room, and we got some of those glow-in-the-dark stars that you can stick to the ceiling of your bedroom, and we put them up. As soon as you shut off the lights, you have this amazing nightscape over your bed. They were awesome. Like, when we first got them, I wanted to sleep in their room. <laughs> but if you have ever had these in your room, you know that after a few minutes, they aren't as bright as they first were. After an hour or two, you can hardly see them at all. The photoluminescence wears off, and they aren't bright again until they're able to soak up more light. In the same way, we need to be in Christ so that the world will see his light reflected in us. If you're not walking with Christ, your glow will fade away quickly. You won't be able to be a light of the world. You have to stay charged up, like the stars on the ceiling, by spending time in the light. And how do we do this? How do we spend time in the light? Let me suggest several things. First, spend time in prayer. Talk to your father. Tell him what you need. Tell him how you feel. Confess your weaknesses, doubts, and inadequacies. Pray that he will fill you with his Holy Spirit. Along with this, spend time in his word. Ask him to speak to you through his word. Ask him to help you apply and understand what he's saying. Go to church. Be, a, be part of a body of people who also want to know the Lord more fully. Enjoy fellowship, serving your brothers and sisters as they serve you. Worship the Lord together with the saints and also alone in your car as you're driving down four. And all the other cars around you think you're swearing about the traffic, but you're actually praising God right there in your car. And as you hear this list, if you're not doing these things, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not saying you're a bad Christian. I'm just trying to point out that these things should flow naturally from who we are. And if they don't, bring that before the Lord. Tell him, Lord, I'm not getting much from reading scripture. Help me. I don't have the desire to pray. Change my heart. 
In order to be the light of the world, we have to spend time with the Savior we're supposed to reflect, because that's where our light actually comes from. But let's talk a little bit more about our job as reflectors. So the source of our light is Christ, and we're supposed to shine His light. How do we do this? Well, our text in verse 14 to 16 is making one thing abundantly clear. A city on a hill, a lamp on a lampstand, letting your light shine before others. All these verses emphasize one thing, that this shining of light that we're called to do is meant to be something public. Verse 14 speaks of a city on a hill. You know, ancient cities were often built out of white limestone, and it would have shone brightly in the sun. It's not something you can hide. And there are fires and lamps in the city at night. You'd be able to see them for miles. The light we have in us should be obvious to the people around us. And verse 15 talks about a lamp hidden under a basket. Why would you light a lamp? and put a basket over it. The purpose of the lamp is to provide light. So the basket prevents the lamp from doing what it's designed to do. We too are designed to be a light. And for us also, if that light isn't getting out in the world, we're not doing what we're designed to do. Last week, Pastor Justin used the word representatives. We are Christ's representatives. That means it's our job to represent. And I know that there are times when this is tough, right? We are called to, to, to represent Christianity to a world that often has negative views about Christianity. It's not easy to represent Christ in a post-Christian, anti-Christian society. And verses 11 and 12 let us know that we should expect difficulty. And let's be honest, a lot of criticism against Christianity and the church is unfair but some of it isn't. People have done awful things in the name of Christ, both in the past and still today. You might worry if you tell people you're a Christian, what will they think of you? Will they associate you with things some other Christians have said and done that it's been unkind or hurtful or unloving? And it's tempting sometimes to want to hide the fact that you're a Christian. But this is the wrong way to respond. If there are indeed people who represent our faith poorly, how much more important is it for us to be out there doing it well? We shouldn't be trying to avoid the world's negative beliefs about Christians. We should be trying to live lives to show them how misinformed those beliefs really are. We should be modeling something so radically different from their stereotype that they have to rethink their understanding of what it means to follow Christ. And what does this lifestyle look like? What does it look like in practical terms to live a lifestyle that represents Christ to the world? Well, look back at verses 3 to 10. They give us great advice about what people living this life should look like. Volumes have been written about these verses. Entire sermons could be done on each verse. We can't do them justice in these few minutes, but look at what followers of Christ are to be like. Verse 3, they are poor in spirit. They have a humility before God. Verse 4, they mourn for their sinfulness. They look back on it with horror. Verse 5, they're humble in their relationships with others. Verse 6, they hunger and thirst for righteousness, longing to be more like Christ. 
Verse 7, they desire mercy, not just for themselves, but for others. Verse 8, their hearts are cleansed from sin by the blood of Christ, reconciled to God. And verse 9, desiring to see people reconciled to each other. This is not the way people in the world live. And if you live this way, you will be noticed. That's the point. That's why we're here, to live a life that causes people to glorify God. We see this in verse 16. This is our task on this earth. So we talked about where the light comes from and our task in reflecting the light. Let's talk about where the light is being shined. Brothers and sisters, we live in a dark world. Think a bit about something dark you've encountered in your life, some wickedness or evil that you have observed. Don't dwell on it, but consider it briefly. Whatever comes to your mind, whatever awful thing you think of, that's really the state of this world. Christ tells us that we're, a light, that we're the light of the world because he knows that this world is dark. Apart from Christ, there is nothing good. There is no hope. And we can relate to this darkness because Ephesians 5 verse 8 tells us, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. The darkness we encounter in the world, it is our own past. But now we walk as children of the light, not because we're good people who were able to better ourselves, but because Christ, the light of the world, made it possible to come into uh, made it possible for us to come into the light when he died for us and was raised to life again. We are called to be light to a world, to the world that we were called out of, called to be a witness to the radical transformation that Christ has brought to every aspect of our lives so that the world can see that there's something more than just darkness. Darkness isn't the only reality. There is light. There is hope. Your life can shine that hope into a bleak situation. In the darkest room, a single candle, candle is impossible to ignore. Our lives point to Christ, along with our words. Now, being a light takes some wisdom. Being a light requires humility. You know those pickup trucks that are jacked up so high they sit way higher than a normal truck? And you know when they pull up behind you at a stoplight at night and their lights are like level with your back window and every inch of your interior is lit up like Las Vegas and you're wondering if you should put on sunglasses? That's not the kind of light we want to be. People living in darkness need the light, but nobody wants to feel like they're being spotlighted or bombarded. Give people some room, approach things with wisdom. So start by letting people know you're a Christian. Let people know that there's a reason for the hope that's in you. Shine your light. Let them know it's there. Show people the love of Christ. Be that person who cares about those who other people don't care about. Be the person who wants to listen, who follows up. Be the person who behaves differently. Do you know that person who, as soon as they come in the room, Everybody stops their coarse joking. Be that person. <laughs> Not because you're judging people, but because you care about them. And you know that we as human beings are called to something better. 
You know that person who, whenever you gossip about somebody or put someone down who isn't there, that that person always speaks up and reminds you of something good about the person you want to put down? Yeah, be that person. Because all people should be treated with dignity, even when they mess up. You know that person who exudes hope and joy, even in the worst circumstances? Be that person, not by your own power, but by asking the Lord to strengthen you. Being light doesn't mean faking to the world that you're perfect. It means telling the world you know someone who is perfect, Christ. You don't have all the answers, but you serve someone who does have them, Christ. And let people know that the love and peace and joy inside you has a source, and that source is Christ. Now, when you share Christ with a colleague or friend or neighbor, some of them won't accept what you say. People rejected the gospel after hearing it from the lips of Jesus himself. So we should expect people to reject it from us also. Part of what the light does is show people their true state, not by you pointing out their flaws, but by showing them the sinful state we are all in without Christ the darkness of this world, and some people aren't ready for that. But be a friend to them anyway. Be that friend who, when they hit rock bottom six months from now, you're the one they think of. You're the one they call when they realize the hope you have is something real that they desperately need in their lives. Other people, when they encounter the light, they want to argue. I would be careful about arguing with people because a lot of people just like arguing. We aren't trying to win arguments. We're trying to win souls, right? So be careful when people throw out intellectual objections to Christianity. I mean, it's great if people want to have genuine conversations about tough questions It's okay. It's okay to ask tough questions about God, about the Bible, about the Christian faith. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is that a lot of people who throw out these tough questions aren't actually looking for answers. They throw out a philosophical objection to Christianity, and they think it's a mic drop moment. And they walk out because they think they just destroyed you with an unanswerable objection. Do people really think that their Twitter-length reason why Christianity is wrong is something no one in the 2,000-year history of the church has ever thought about? That they've come up with something that Augustine and Aquinas and Calvin never considered? It's okay to ask the tough questions if you're sincere, if you're looking for an answer. You want to know how did Christians through the centuries wrestle with these questions? But if you're not actually looking for the answer, it's not a question or an objection to Christianity. It's an excuse. So don't argue with someone unless they're really sincere. And be ready to go home and do some reading because there are tough questions out there. And I assure you that there are answers, but you do have to seek them. We also encounter people who don't want the light because the light reveals a reality they don't want to accept. Some people don't want God as he's revealed himself, but they do want God as they want him to be in their own head. You might hear, 
I could never believe in a God who wouldn't let me do what I want. I could never believe in a God who doesn't want me to be happy. And then you find out what makes them happy, they think, for example, is dating a person who's already married. They can't accept a God who would impinge on their own wants. And if you think about that, you realize that they're actually judging God. They're deciding what commands of God are acceptable or not acceptable to them. They're judging God. And that would actually be kind of funny that a created being is creating their own standards to judge their creator. That would actually be funny if it weren't tragic. Because they've got that switched around. They think that they can judge God. But John 3, 19 tells us this is judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Judgment is seeing the light and choosing the darkness, brothers and sisters. And this is eternal judgment because the light that we walk in now by God's grace is the light we will experience for eternity. Revelations 21 tells us about the eternal home of those who follow Christ. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the Lord, because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it perfect, unending light as we dwell with Christ. But there is also an eternal darkness. Matthew tells us three times in his gospel that the wicked will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God is just, brothers and sisters. Those who choose to walk in his light on this earth will dwell in light forever. And those who choose darkness on this earth will dwell in darkness forever. Let me conclude now. Today, we looked at the words of Jesus when he said, you are the light of the world. We saw that Christ was the source of the light, that we are, recalled, that we are called to reflect that light publicly and that we ourselves are to do that in this world which dwells in darkness. I'm going to pray in a couple of minutes, but I want you to think a bit about where you're at and pray with me. Maybe you're still considering Christ and whether you should follow him. Maybe you're still walking in darkness. I just want you to know that there is no darkness so deep that he can't pull you out of it. There is no sin or wickedness in your past that he can't forgive if you tell him in your heart that you're sorry for your sin and you want that old sinful part of you to die and be replaced with Christ. That you want Christ to be the Lord of your life, not yourself. That you want him to change your heart. You are not so broken that he can't transform you if that's what's in your heart. Maybe you already accepted Christ, but your life isn't the kind of light that it should be. Maybe you repented of a sin in your past, but here it comes again. 
dragging you down again. You can bring that up to Christ now. He's not mad at you that you messed up. His heart breaks because of what that sin is doing to you, his child. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's hatred. Confess it to the Lord now. Ask him to continue working in you to make you more like Christ. For all of us, let's ask the Lord to use us as a light to this world. Ask him to use you to shine light into very dark places. Ask him for wisdom in how you engage others with the gospel, with the good news of what Christ has done for us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.